Hey guys, welcome to the News Fair Podcast. Welcome back. If you're a regular listener, it's awesome to have you with me. My name is Isaac or Shrek, and I host the News Fair Podcast. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. Today, it's Captain Bly from Lineage Charters out of San Diego. Uh, Jerry Guerra over at Neptonics was kind, kind enough to connect the two of us, and uh, we made this thing happen pretty quick. Um, I had a really good chat with him. We, we took uh, yellowfin tuna, bluefin tuna, halibut, um, yellowtail, some of the other uh, mesmerizing species they have access to down there. And um, Captain Bly is super cool. Um, Matthew says, Captain Bly is a super knowledgeable dude. I had lots of questions. He answered all of them on the way out. We got out to the area he located, a school of bluefin tuna. Uh, I got ready and punched a dive and bang. I can't thank them enough for putting me on this beautiful bluefin tuna. He's a, a great charter boat captain and... Uh, and I think he's mellowed a little with age, um, so I don't even know if the Captain Bly uh, handle suits Matt as well anymore. But anyway, a good, a good solid chat. Before we get there, I've got a, a monster shout-out bag this, uh, before this interview gets started, so excuse the uh, longer intro. Uh, Fabian underscore CSM has left a phenomenal voice message, a bit of a story, one of his recent dives. Hang around to the back end of the show to listen to that. Um, if you want to leave a... A story, a voice message, uh, go to noobspirit.com, go up to Nooba Stories in the menu and just record up to three minute voice message. Tell me about one of your recent dives, what you love about the podcast, how it's made a difference, one of the actionable tips that you have adopted into your own diving and that'd be awesome. Uh, also check out Freshwater Worlds at freshwaterworlds.com. They've got a bunch of events coming up. Um, that's a phenomenal way to connect. I know Justin Lee out of Hawaii goes along regularly. He loves it. Uh, great social event as well as competition. You're cleaning out invasives a lot of the time and just a phenomenal uh, event and great way to hone your craft and think more strategically about the way you go spearing. Completely different take on it than many of us have, but um, I, I'd encourage you to check it out at freshwaterwheels.com. Eric sent me an email. The Fin and Forage Run Catch and Cook comp was a huge success. They had a monster prize pool. Uh, first pra- place went to Aaron Koseba uh, at Cooler Chef. But there's a, a cool um, video recap of the event if you want to check it out on the Fin and Forage YouTube channel. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, I'm going to make an episode coming up. It's the YouTube's best spearfishing channels this was as voted by the Noob Spirit community on our Facebook group. Uh, more than 4,000 uh, people on there uh, voted up their favorite YouTube channels. It's a fantastic little resource. I wrote a blog post with the the sort of the all the channels that got identified or nearly all of them. Go to adreno.com.au and go down into the blog menu and check out YouTube's best spearfishing channels in 2022. There's a top 20. There's a whole bunch of, I actually picked out videos that I like from each channel. And so it's a great way to find some new froth if you are stuck in some dirty water or dry spell. Check that out at uh, adreno.com.au. There's another couple of um, guides I wrote up there as well, as well as a super fast guide to smoking fish. I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, Ethan from Complete Angler and Camping World in Marambula says, um, mate, I work at a dive shop and I've noticed the difference in the in the diver's eye I have in the shop after sending them onto your podcast. So massive thanks to, uh, to Ethan for sending that in. It was a cool little message. Um, he was offering to help out with the 99 
Spiro Recipes beta reading. So last but not least, before we get into Captain Bly and the meat and potato interview that I absolutely loved, the Blue Water World Cup, Palapas Ventana. These guys run a super cool event. It's July 10th to 14th, 2022. We've Come on board as an official sponsor. Check it out at palapasventana.com. July 10th to 14th, it's a phenomenal event. They provide pretty much everything. Accommodation, you're diving out of their boats. And I, I, I don't know if you get given a guide, but you get put on the good ground. It's a phenomenal opportunity to shoot some cool fish and network with a bunch of absolutely legendary spearers. But anyway, hey, let's get into Captain Blyer. Hear about getting rocked on the rocks uh, getting your dive fitness back and all the good things that come with being a spearfishing charter boat captain. Here we go, Captain Bly. I can't wait to get into today's episode, brought to you with proud partner, adreno.com.au. The Noob Spiro Podcast has been partnering with adreno.com.au for more than 100 episodes, and these guys are awesome. They have uh, huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country. You can shop online or in store. Use the code NoobSpiro whenever you spend more than $200, and you will automatically save $20. That's right. Use the code NoobSpiro online or in store when you spend more than $200 and save 20 bucks. I love these guys. I remember the first time I brought a spear gun at adreno.com.au down at the Wollongabba store and Adreno have been a huge part of the excitement that I have about spearfishing. Check them out at adreno.com.au use the code NoobSpiro to save. Neptonics was founded in 1996 making trigger mechs in a barn in the Santa Cruz mountains. Solid gear that works was their founding principle and it still rings true today in every pull of a Neptonics trigger, in every snap of a Neptonics band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel singing with the power of another big fish. We had a great deal, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. Save 10% off any order at Neptonics.com when you use the code NOOB10. Well, uh, today, Noob Spirit community, we uh, we've got a, it's a bit of a short notice guest, but uh, he comes highly recommended from Jerry at Neptonics. I've got Captain Bly here, the owner, ca- captain of Lineage Charters. Am I saying that right, Lineage? That's right, Lineage. And the craftsman, the bespoke craftsman of uh, Captain Bly spear guns, which are beautiful works of art as much as they are functional weapons of death, I believe. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. They're a good-looking spear gun, man. So we got lots of ground to cover today. Um, you 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 seem like a bloke that's obsessed with the ocean and and uh, and you love the spearfishing lifestyle. I I've spent my entire life on the ocean. I take after my grandfather. I spent forty-five years commercial tuna fishing back back when you know they they fished it with poles, no nets, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he got me onto the ocean really young at a, at about an age of. You know, six, and then I fell in love with it at about nine or ten. Wow! So what? How, he was captain of his own vessel, like w- with the pole fishing? No, he was. He, he, you know, he just he worked on boats, and and then he became an engineer. Yeah. But uh, you know, just I, I always looked up to my grandfather and was just like, man, he does awesome stuff. He goes away for two months on the ocean, three <laughs> months on the ocean, and 
you know, my dad wasn't that way. So I, I gravitated towards my grandfather. Yep. Yep. So it's funny. Like, I mean, we're all born with our own personality and our own particular desires and stuff. And, and sometimes our parents shape and influence that, but sometimes it is that generation beyond. So you, your grandfather was an engineer as well. Is that where you're sort of, you draw some of your passion for making spear guns as well? Um, no, actually, that my, my passion for spear guns comes from my stepfather growing up was a woodworker his whole you know whole life, and so I got to at a young age I got to start playing around in his shop and learning about the tools and how to do stuff, and then kind of got away from it for a long time, and and then honestly I just I, I wanted to make a better spear gun than I was on the market that I could buy, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, a, I'm I mean I'm a wood spear gun guy, I'm prejudiced towards wood spear guns, you know. Yeah. I see so. them, that, but oh, there's something beautiful about that solid timber platform. Like sometimes, like I, I, I started spearfishing with pipe guns, and so using a big timber spear gun for me came much later. But when I the first shot I ever took with a timber spear gun, there was this dampened, beautiful, like gentle recoil, and a very like accurate platform it didn't jerk in your hand in any way you got much less um jerk out of like because sometimes the the where you hold where you hold a um pipe spear and you just seem to get a twist in your shot as you yeah. squeeze the trigger because obviously tr- trigger pressure is a bit weird with this with this with the um with the mech style we use yeah on, on the pipe guns or on the oh. On both, I mean, they're all friction-based yeah. mechanisms. So that, like, but on the on the timber spear guns, you seem to get less of that twisting thing as you pull the trigger. Is that your kind of opinion? It, uh, uh, exactly. You know, it goes back to the early days when I used to shoot and hunt. You know, and if you shoot a gun, or if I was match shooting, you shoot a heavier barreled rifle, and you know, the more mass equals less recoil or movement when you pull that trigger, mm. and you don't think of it in a gun you know, because the bullets out so fast, but you'd be surprised, you know, it's the same way in a spear gun. The hard part is getting that gun ballasted, Mm. you know, correctly so that it doesn't feel like you've got a, you know, if it's a huge tuna gun for taking down big bluefin or big elephant, doesn't feel like you got 15, 18 pounds in the water. It feels just like nice movement. Mm -hmm. And, And that's, that's, the difference is there's a lot of guys that make custom spear guns. Um, I dive with every single one of my guns before I send it out the door. I take it out. I ballast it while I'm out and make sure that it's, it's right. You can't ballast a gun to me, my own opinion in, in a pool and get it a hundred percent dialed in. Just because of the difference between salt and fresh water? No, it's not so much of that, but you, you know, you, in a pool, you can't dive with it the way you're diving in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. If that makes sense. You can't dive and, and like just be around the reef a little bit more. And, and, you know, I'll dive with that gun for 30, 40 minutes, mm. you know, and say, okay, it's good. You yeah. know, different scenarios. I'll sit on the bottom on my knees or I'll do this or do that so that, okay, yeah, that thing's, you know, ballasted exactly how I like it. So over the years with experimenting with this and this sort of this mindset you have of, of testing and, and, and making sure that the gun performs as, you know, as you've sort of guaranteed, I guess, how have you, what small changes have you made in the way you design and create spear guns? Um, you know, back when I started, the guy who kind of taught me, um, you know, when I got into spear fishing. Um, you know, it was the old timber block two by four style and, and, you know, I, I gradually got away from that and, uh, 
you know, sucking the handle up as far as you can, I think has been the biggest change. The closer you can get your handle to the shaft yep. is, is to me a big, uh, you know, a big advantage because yep. whether it's control line of sight, I don't aim when I shoot, I shoot instinctive. Like I shoot, uh, you know, an old recurve bow or something. Yep. Uh, if I aim, I will miss mm-hmm. that bottom line. I cannot, I, I've tried time and time again. I had to have, when I did a lot of high speed video testing in pools just to figure out what's going on, I couldn't, I didn't shoot the gun. I had, you know, people who are good at aiming shoot the gun because I don't aim. Yeah. I, I just pick a spot and let the body mechanics go there. I'm exactly the same. I, I think the problem with the instinctive method and, and, and feel free to comment on this is that you're relying on triangulation, which is almost like a, it's a different thing. Like you're looking on the fish where you want to shoot and then you're just letting the spear gun in your hand sort of get everything where you want. Um, is, is that kind of the way you're saying you shoot? And what are the drawbacks to this style of shooting? For me, I don't, from personally, I can only speak, you know, there's no drawbacks. Um, trying to explain somebody, especially on a mid-handle gun, is a whole different ballgame. Because mm. I, I, I really only shoot mid-handles, but that's most of our diving is dirtier water or larger guns. And, you know, to me, you don't want to shoot a, a five-band gun with a rear handle. It's just you don't have any control or movement over it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just equivalent it to people in America throwing a baseball. When you throw a baseball, you, 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 you pick a spot, whether it's, you know, that catcher's glove or whatever, and if you're trying to aim that baseball, you're going to miss. But if you just let the proper body mechanics take over, mm. then you're going to throw that ball where you want to throw that ball. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. But I think this method speaks to the fact that you need to put in the time and just shoot the gun many, many times. And then the, the more you do it, the better feel that you develop. Exactly. And I'll, and I'll tell people when they get a new gun, I'm like, look, if you go out and shoot that gun 10, 15 times, shoot it at a piece of kelp or, you know, shoot it at an opali or a blue perch, take that fish home and go put it in your garden, you know, so you don't waste it, a fertilizer right there. But, you know, I'll talk to people, they'll be like, yeah, I've been out three times. Have you shot the gun? No, I haven't. Like, well, when you come back to the boat or whatever, before you get back to the shore, shoot the gun so you know how the gun reacts in your hands. And and I find that a lot of people just don't do that. So... Oh, go ahead. No, I wanted to get back to your ballast point. Um, so you're taking your guns out, you're applying ballast out there and getting it right. Are you going a little bit muzzle heavy with the way you ballast your guns? Is that the way you want them or? So on a mid-handle, I prefer a very, so, a very slow sink at about 15 degrees muzzle heavy. Yep. And what I found in, in high-speed video testing is you think you have a gun ballasted perfectly but when all that rubber moves forward it's causing lift Mm. and especially if somebody's going to shoot you know um a lower percentage on 300 percent stretch instead of what i shoot you know 350 or 375 um that shaft's going to take a little bit longer but as that band material moves forward and it doesn't matter if it's a it's if it's a monster double roller kicker, it's the same thing. You still have rubber and flotation moving forward mm. and you've got to get that shaft out of that gun. Cause there were guns I had, I thought, man, this is, 
this gun's ballasted perfectly and I put it under high speed video at, you know, a hundred frames per second. And you go, wow, there was a quarter inch of that shaft still in that gun when it started to lift just that, you know, hair of a millimeter. Yeah. Right. And that is, you know, at 20 feet, that, that little bit of lift there is going to cause you to shoot two feet low or a foot low. That's a very interesting insight. I like, I like that. I, I mean, along the same sort of track blight, like, when you think about salinity, like how much salt you've got in the water, you guys are in the water of the Pacific there, but you've got Atlantic down in Florida. Um, you know, you've got a lot of guys in the Mediterranean that, that love spearfishing and, and girls as well. Um, down here in the, in, the, in the South Pacific, if you like, um, does salinity in the salt water also change that? Um, I know I asked the question kind of in a roundabout way earlier, but I'm wondering if that affects the ballast. And if it does... How, how do you recommend people alter or adjust it if your spear gun's been shipped, say, you know, a thousand miles away? I, I honestly, I, the only salinity difference I have found in my personal, and I have dove the tropics, and it seems the tropics have less salinity than the cold water. You know, diving in Northern California where it's 48 degrees, it's a lot, they say it's more salinity mm. and it's a denser water. But I, I honestly, I haven't noticed a, a, that much of a difference. Mm. You know, but I haven't, I haven't done, you know, any kind of technical research in, in yeah, yeah. more salinity. It's probably more displacement rather than weight anyway, but anyway, I'm getting lost in it, but I just find it interesting to geek out on it with someone that's in the know. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's, 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 you know, and, but when I build a rear handle gun for somebody, uh, you know, I, I try to make that to where it only takes a little bit of pressure on the bottom of your heel to lift that gun. Mm. So when you let a little pressure off, you know, when you're tracking a fish with a rear handle and, and that fish starts to come up, you don't, you don't want to have to take your hand up and, and move the gun up. Just a little bit of pressure on the bottom of your heel will lift that gun up a couple inches and then boom, you can shoot. Mm. So, but that, I, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, yeah, yeah no, it's good. It, it just got me thinking about all the micro mechanics of, of um, extending and shooting. I mean, um, it would be interesting to video yourself taking a shot just to see if you were making any, like you were talking about human mechanics, like sometimes that instinctive feel, you look where you want to shoot, you pull the trigger and, and your body does the rest. But I think some of us have got <laughs> some pretty, uh, like, you know, like they're not natural sort of body mechanics. And sometimes yeah. just maybe a little bit of analysis or just someone saying, hey, look, um, the way you're extending there is a bit awkward. Like a lot of the times I've heard of guys here with rear handle spear guns and they shoot the spear gun too close to their face and they, you know, near knock themselves <laughs> out. And in firearms, it's called the Weatherby eyebrow. But in, in oh, spear yeah. gun, we don't we don't have a similar sort of saying. Um, have you come across that much? I have, especially with uh, I won't mention any names, but large, you know, uh, European larger rear handle spear guns. Especially, there's been quite a few people out here, so especially you know hunting bluefin tuna out here um, that have have had a little bit of injury. Yeah, well. whether it's teeth or nose or eyebrows. Uh, it's it's the same thing, and and I've seen people with shooting mid-handle guns that you know the guns aren't heavy enough for the amount of bands they put on there, and it's the same way. People get busted lips all the time. One, they don't lock their elbow when they're shooting. Yeah, but you know, you you've got to have if you're gonna the more bands you put, the more mass and more weight you have to have mm. to make it controllable. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, so, I mean, you can't take a, a, a skinny, you know, let's say eight pound gun out of the water and, and, and put four or five bands on it and expect it to shoot right for one and expect it to, to not hit you in the face if you're not, you know, locked in. It's a lot of, um, <laughs> there's quite a lot of um, talk on those guns when you go to pull the trigger and they're all powered up. Um, it's a scary thought getting smashed in the face with one. You know, years ago before I started um, uh, making guns, I had a, a big spear gun uh, that was wooden and the handle sheared off when I pulled the trigger oh, and, and slid back and, you know, it, it, it busted my face a little bit, but I didn't break any teeth out or you know, I've been hit in the face a lot harder than that. So, <laughs> but you know, it was like, wow, I had a little bloody lip, but it was still like, man, that was a fish. That was a night. Nice, that was a 65 pound sea bass. I was, you know, white sea bass. I was aiming at and I, man, I was more upset that I missed the fish instead of getting hit in the face. You're talking about so. getting hit in the face. It, um, it reminds me of the fact that you're an ex veteran as well. Is that where some of the getting hit in the face events happened in your life? All that and just being a salty, rowdy kind of guy, you know. <laughs> I, I got my nickname because I'll tell you what, you know, I mean, I admit I was, I, I was, I was born and raised in the old school ways and, you know, the, the old school, you, you shut your mouth, you listen. And if you didn't, you got knocked upside the head. And, and I used to be that way. And, and I, I greatly changed, you know, nowadays I, I, I became way more mellow in my older age and, 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 just opening my eyes and in, in, in experiencing new experiences. Yeah. His, 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 that's made me a better diver watching other people, you know, and, and what, which armed service did you, um, did you serve in? So I was in the United States coast guard, did search and rescue and law enforcement there. And then I was also in the, uh, army. Yeah. Right. Oh. So, yeah, oh. a little bit of training there and I've hunted my whole life, you know, my grandfather got me into bird hunting and deer hunting and elk hunting and all that fun stuff. You're in a, a great part of the world to take advantage of that. So, um, I wanted to read out a couple of things. I, I went, I went for a little bit of a stalk this morning before I got up and just had a little bit of a look at, at lineage charters. Um, a couple of people had some real nice things to say. Tracy said, had a blast on our charter chasing bluefin all weekend. If anyone could put you on a fish, it's Captain Bly. Captain Bly is extremely knowledgeable concerning the unique fishery of San Diego. He's been fishing and diving in San Diego his whole life. He took the time to pass on any information to us that would help us connect with our first bluefin, and we succeeded. He let us use his gun, which is crazy powerful and accurate. It was the most epic trip ever, she says. It's a, it's a good rap, Captain Bly. You know, my my passion nowadays, especially on the charter stuff, it, it, whether it's fishing or, or spear fishing, I get my high nowadays, you know, from putting people on fish and seeing them shoot that fish that they've been targeting for a long time or that's a dream fish, whether uh, just I love seeing people smile and just be like, man, this is the greatest day. And then I know. I did my job yeah, yeah, and in, right. you know, I, I did everything in my power to put that person in the right spot at the right moment. Mm. That's mm. where I get my joy from nowadays. Not that I, I just don't enjoy shooting fish and being in the water. I mean, I love that too, but I got to make a living yep, yep. and you know, that's the way I make my living. So that, that brings me the most joy, you know, when it comes to running the boat and being able to pass on that knowledge of people, you know, to people. Of hey, you know what? Your gun's rigged this way. Can I? Can, can, you know, do you mind trying something different? Or you know, they've been in the water, sliding in on schools, and they're missing, or they're not. You know, uh, 
uh, or being able to get down quick enough or I love to go back on this, you know, the CERN or the transom and, and talk to them. And then, and then after I give them a little bit of advice, you know, they're like, man, I saw three fish that dive, you know, and yeah, then nice. two more dives, they shot their first fish, yeah, nice. you know, bluefin or whatever, you know? So I think that, that's, that's what I enjoy, especially as I get older, because I don't have the energy or, or the endurance I used to, not that I'm, you know, washed up or anything, but you know, it, I just enjoy like going out diving. Now I don't even have to shoot a fish. I'd rather go out and have an awesome day on the water and, and pass the knowledge along. Mm -hmm. I think for me, like if I'm heading out on a charter, particularly in some, um, some new waters um, or, you know, like if I was very inexperienced, like I think those tips and stuff would, would make the day like the journey of self mastery, like, like while you're spearfishing, there's so much to learn and every fishery is different. So, like, I was going to ask you, like, what percentage of the people that come out with you um, are open to some of the tips and ideas that you give? Like, do you, do you, are most people open to learning and, and, and readily sort of have a listen and try out what you've said? I'd, I'd say about 70%. Okay. So about two-thirds. Um, you know, and it's in any kind of sport, you always have the guy that thinks he knows everything and yeah. there's no changing that guy yeah and, and and i don't try yeah you know if the guy doesn't want advice i'm not going to give him advice yeah i'm just you know because you know i mean I, I i like to think that i wasn't that way but i was probably that way when i was 25 <laughs> years old or whatever <laughs> you know but one of the greatest things you know your your questions you know we can we can address later that you know it, it's it's about being able to just sit back and watch what people who are successful do and then try to make that into your own routine, whether it's life or spearfishing or whatever, sometimes shutting your mouth and just sitting back and watching is way more productive than banging your head against the wall. Mm -mm. If that makes, you know, a little yeah, sense. There's something stubborn and stupid about like myself in particular like i seem to like <laughs> learning some stuff the hard way for whatever reason um i don't know if it's an ego trap or if it's just like a uh, you know like something about being autonomous i mean you just like i value the learning journey but sometimes i just learn things the hard way for whatever reason so um <clears throat> Yeah, it's good you don't get discouraged by people that don't listen, I think. Um, but so I, a, a quick little story here. <laughs> okay. Last year we had it – was, it, it was the most epic day for Big Blue Fit. You know, we got fish from – we got everybody off on the boat, five guys, a fish, at least one fish from 180 to 255, I think it was, on Blue Fit. And one of the guys came up to me and it's like, sorry, Captain, I, you know, I keep missing, I keep missing. And my exact words were to the guy, is, hey, you know what? I've been beating my head against the wall for many years, so get back out there. We still have a couple hours of daylight because I'll keep beating my head against the wall for you because I want you to get a fish. And the guy ended up getting a fish. And, you know, I, you know, it's the same thing. Don't give up. You know, don't give up. I don't care what it is. I try never to give up. Uh, you know, there's time you have to give up, but make sure you've done everything you can before you give up. Learn from the best. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com are written and presented by some of the world's best freedivers and most experienced instructors. Lessons learned come from years of freediving and teaching at the highest levels and are now condensed and available for everyone. Go to freedivingfamily.com and use the code SPIRO 
and you get 20% off any course. Now there's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel, Hands-Free Equalization, there's Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization, even by Finning Essentials. Get that finning technique right. It's the one percenters that make the difference in spearing and allow you to have more time on the bottom and you feel better even doing it. Go to freedivingfamily.com and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com. Killfish with precision and power sending shafts from a stable platform with kill shot spear guns made in the florida keys by ed martin you're buying american-made dependable spear guns get 30 dollars off any kill shot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com yes and amen Nuba. that's 30 dollars off american-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com it says if they're in the shop or on the phone they can cash in by saying crikey mate or the noob spiro podcast sent me check them out at killshotspearguns.com based in the Florida Keys. Are you following at Old Man Blue Dive on Instagram yet? Bert Calder, creator of the Old Man Blue Dive gear, is an absolute legend. They are people that froth on the sparing life and intentionally make super hard wearing and practical gear that will stand the test of time. Visit oldmanblue.com.au and check out a bunch of tough, robust equipment made by people that are just as passionate about spearing as you are. oldmanblue.com.au Okay, let's. Um, it'd be great to hear a couple of examples of some of the common struggles and common advice that you give to help the people you take out spearfishing to overcome. So, like, what are some of the, the maybe the two or three most common issues that you see with people going out uh, and trying to shoot fish off your boat? Not being able to control their excitement. Yep, I can I can understand that one. And you know it's blue water diving can be some of the most fun in the world. And it can be some of the most boring driving around the ocean, waiting to find fish or fish to come up or whatever, but you have to be ready at all moments, especially with the bluefin. We can drive around for hours and those bluefin are down at a thousand feet. They don't want to, you know, and when they decide to come up, it's game on. And you might only have an, some days there's an hour windows, you know, me, you know, some days there's five, 10 hour windows but you've got to be ready. And I, I mean, I don't know how you control your, your excitement. I mean, I don't know the special thing for people to control it, but you know, it's, I try not to let people who are on the step ready to go in, see the, you know, 200 pounders jumping out of the water. Cause that just makes it worse. Um, I try to try to get the fish under the boat so people can slide in and, and make a more comfortable dive down to, um, the depth I have, a, you know, searchlight sonar, which reaches out 900 feet, a thousand feet each side. Oh. So, you know, other dive boats don't have that where I can find the fish, get on them, get them under the up and down meter and then hit the buzzer. And then they can slide in the water and make a drop to 30 or 50 feet. That, that, that I found over the last five years of doing this is, is brought up the success rate way more yeah, wow. than than trying to get onto a foamer because mm-hmm. people have to kick 50 60 yards and then they have to punch a dive or you know whatever and and that's takes it off not everybody's in really good shape but bluefin so. bluefin tunas sound like a, they're they're a strange animal in terms of their behavior like you get workups and boil ups and and you get you know but then i like this is anecdotal stuff that i've heard from my my friends down in uh, melbourne south australia who who target southern bluefin tuna can you talk about the fish's behavior in your neck of the woods 
Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of times where you don't see any surface type action. It's all electronics. Mm. And, you know, those fish are on the meter at a hundred feet. And, you know, if, if you've got a good diver, most of the time those fish will get curious and they'll meet you at 50, 40 feet. Mm. Um, you know, and then other times they just, they don't want anything to do with a single person. Mm-mm. Bluefin, uh, though, yeah, they're crazy. Once you think you have these guys figured out, almost every year it's, it's a different pattern. It's a different thing. It's, you know, whether you're fishing them or diving, a different way to approach them every year. And, and it changes hour by hour, minute by minute on the water. I mean, there's been days where this was working, then all of a sudden, man, what the heck, this isn't working. I got, now I got to figure out a different way to get on them to not spook them. Um, they're, they're one of the craziest tuna and you know to try to figure out you know because they also have the ability to just sink out and go to a thousand feet yeah and in 40 degree water and be perfectly happy do you see schools of like similar sized fish and then larger ones come through like you'll get like say like 30 pound fish and then below them you'll have you know bigger bigger models coming through or um and what sort of what's your season for them so right now is coming into our season. They're just they're, they're just in range right now. They're sitting down below the border. Um, you know, we, in San Diego here, we're right on the Mexican border, which we do do a lot of fishing and diving in Mexican waters. You know, it's just getting a license, uh, Mexican fishing permit. It's no big deal. You know, we don't ever have any hassle. So what people hear about, you know, the cartel that's not on the water or anything <laughs> like that. But um you know, so they're just coming in range, but early season fish are really hard to dive on. They spend a lot more time down low and they spend a lot more time feeding, uh, during, during the nighttime. Mm. Um, usually once, once June hits is usually that's game on. Once that water temp gets around 64 degrees, the bait fish they're on have gotten the anchovy has gotten a little bit bigger. And instead of that anchovy being really spread out, it, it gets into more balls. Mm. So then it, it brings the fish into bigger schools. Cause when it's all spread out, the fish are in small schools moving around fast. It's kind of hard to dive on. Um, and there are, you know, days that you get where, Oh wait, there's a breeze, what we call a breezer. When the bluefin come up just to digest food and warm up, they, they get into these huge groups of fish and they're just kind of on the surface moving one way. And those are great for diving on. Yeah. Wow. Well. Cause you know, they're sluggish, but, but back to your question, you know, guys will be, I'll see it on the, on the electronics, right? Cause I'll mark bigger fish come out as bigger marks. And I'll be like, if a guy's a good diver and, and, you know, everybody else is getting to 40, but they're only seeing, you know, 30 to 80 pound fish, that guy who punches a dive below the other fish, generally those bigger fish are hanging out below or outside of the smaller fish. Ah. So if you have the breath hold punch to the bottom of the school and see what's below, you know, at the bottom of the school. Cause that's, that's where your bigger fish are going to be going to be. But, but for the most part out here, there are times, you know, it's a mixed bag and you don't know, but for the most part, most of the fish are generally around, you know, within 50 pounds of each other, especially when you start talking about the bigger ones, because the little guys really don't like to hang out with those, the you know, 150 pound and bigger. What about yellowfin? So you got yellowfin, I'm assuming are all South of the border. Um, You know, we get them up here. The yellowfin up here aren't the, aren't the easiest to target. They are very fast moving. Yeah. Um, it, Cause they're generally, we don't get big, big yellowfin tuna here. You get a 50 pound yellowfin. That's a really nice yellowfin here. 
Um, there are a few shot here and there. A couple of years back, we had a few that were shot at, I think, 80, 80 pounds. Wow. But we had a lot of them that year. Um, in the last few years, I have a buddy of mine who's a marine biologist out here um, in Scripps Institute of Oceanography. You've probably heard of them. Mm. They have... They have buoys out here that actually have sounders on them and they can tell which way fish are moving. Okay. And the last few years, we've been getting a better grade of yellowfin coming in from the Southwest, not the Southern grade, uh, not bluefin, but um, yellowfin tuna uh, coming in from the direction of Hawaii out of the Southwest. Oh. So we've had groups of the smaller group. Normally our fish coming out of the South from Mexican waters is a smaller grade. We call them footballs. <laughs> and, you know, and then by the end of the, you know, in the fall, those fish will be up to maybe 30 pounds, but we've been having larger grade yellowfin movement from the Southwest, which is that, that fish that is in between here and Hawaii. Ah, okay. And so, and that's, that's the fish that more people have, have been able to get on and shoot mm. um, here. You know, if you're diving down in mainland Mexico, where I've dove a lot, it's totally different diving. You're, you know, drifting a high spot. Um, you know, you're drifting out there, you're, you're chumming and, and you're just, you're relaxed and you're making deeper dives and, and you're, you're going to see a few fish swim by, not, you know, a school of a thousand fish. What's your personal best yellowfin? Uh, fishing is 302. Diving is just under 300. Wow. <laughs> so... I lost a I lost a yellowfin. I know it was well over three hundred. He took all the gear down and was down for you know about about an hour. Tell me this about that. This was a long time ago tell when we didn't have as good a gear as we have now. Tell me about uh, that. You know, tell me about that. It, Where were you? We were down at we were down in uh, Punta de Mira, which is Puerto Vallarta area, and uh, the captain on the the ponga. We were diving around the rock Corbetano, and then there's a high spot off there. He's like, man, get in, get in. There's fish going. And, and I just, I hopped in and there were just 300 pounders swimming everywhere, chasing, wow. chasing bait. You know, they were chasing five pound Bonita and I stuck one. And, and that was the old school days where we, we didn't have as nice of bungees as we had. And we had spill packs and smaller floats and, and they took off and I wasn't even close to the surface and all three buoys were past me with two spill packs, you know, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it did. It ended up tearing off finally, but he, he towed those buoys underwater for almost an hour and it was getting dark and we found the buoys and I was just like, man, I hate, I hate losing fish. I think yeah. everybody does, but you know, hopefully the guy survived. It's amazing what they can survive sometimes. The damage, you know, there was a couple years ago, a fisherman caught, I don't know why somebody was trying to do this because they watched the YouTube videos of guys shooting, you know, 200 pound tuna on a, on a small pipe gun, but a guy caught at like a 200 pound bluefin, uh, on the troll and the thing had a 110 centimeter pipe gun on with a reel on as uh, the shaft was still attached to it and the fish <laughs> was still eating. So... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think um, that was one of the best ones I've seen? That's crazy. That's crazy. That sh <laughs> that shaft must have been rusted through. You know, I think it was only in there for a few days. Ah, uh, okay. Because because I got the picture sent to me from uh, from a, uh, another guy, and and you know it, it was wasn't that rusty, but the line hadn't got much on it, so it had to have been you know a few days. Some probably somebody inexperienced 
it was diving a kelp patty, you know, the, the floating kelp that breaks off that Dorado yeah. and yellowtail cling to. And, and this huge tuna comes by and went, Oh, and shot it. And went, uh Oh, <laughs> it's hard. Eh? Is that, that, um, self-control, I think is one thing you talked about earlier, like getting people to control their excitement, um, and then make rational decisions in the moment. Um, it's, it's quite a, like, it's a, for, it's a, it's a skill that takes a while to forge, I think. Oh, I've done plenty of stupid things in my in my diving. Give me another. Our fishing, our fishing. You know, I. Oh yeah, let me throw this light line. Or oh wait, I got that fish, and the next thing you know, like uh oh, what did I do? What did I do? Mm. How so. how do you go with the freediving side of of spearfishing? Have you enjoyed that aspect of it, like breath hold stuff? Me, I I don't like the competition. You know, or I don't like I don't like the um, what do they call that? The um, you know, just the free dive. Competitive freediving, the depth. Yeah, I, yep. yeah, I don't enjoy that. You know, I enjoy being in the water. And I, like I said, I've seen some of the coolest stuff ever without even shooting a fish that day. Whether I'm diving, you know, um, I, I think anybody could could be a productive spear fisherman if you can hold your breath for one minute and dive to fifty feet and yep. be calm. I think anybody, you know, you don't have to hold your breath for two minutes every dive and dive to a hundred feet. I know lots of guys that are great line divers and can hold, you know, every dive they go spearfishing, they hold their breath three minutes, but they're always sitting in the wrong spot. They don't know how to hunt. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing where people miss free diving is, and I think I, I had an advantage of because I've been bow hunting my whole life. And so I equate spearfishing and bow hunting very close, but you know, it's, it's about the stock. And for me, it's about the stock. And, and that's where people lack is they think, Oh, I just, I need to hold my breath a certain amount of time and I need to get to a certain depth because all the freediving classes, it's all the performance freediving. That's what they call it. You know, the people who teach those type of classes, that's generally all they do is, is, you know, line diving and competitions. And, and that's, that's great for them, but they're teaching people who are spearfishing, you know, I'll get people coming on the boat and, I'll, you know, we'll be diving uh, some of the islands out here and I'll be like, okay, well, what, what's your neutral? Well, they told me in the class I had to be neutral at 33 feet. Well, okay. You need to put on another five pounds because you need to be neutral at 18 feet for hunting this. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you're not, we're not diving 80 feet, so you don't have to be neutral at 33 feet. And, yeah. but they've been beaten into their head that they have to be neutral at, you know, 33 feet, which, yeah. That's great if you're diving deeper, but when you're hunting shallower, you can't be neutral at 33. I talk about this too, and I've talked about it with freediving instructors as well. Like if you're hunting 30 feet um, or or like let's say 20 feet and you're chasing lobster or something like that, like the last thing you want to be is like positively buoyant when you're on the bottom trying to grab something. Like it just makes it a pain in the ass because then you use all your energy holding onto a rock or something like that to try and – you know, make sure exactly. you're in the right position to grab the lobster. Yeah, and the same, you know, I'll take people halibut diving. Here are white sea bass diving is a huge thing. You know, the, these people are diving down to 30-something or they're holding on to a kelp stock and their legs are going up in the air and they can't, they wouldn't be able to shoot a white sea bass swimming through the kelp if they wanted to. I, I, I'm I'm neutral at freaking 17 feet when I hunt white sea bass. Mm. Now, I'm not the poster child for the most safest way to weight yourself, but that's in my mind, that's the best way to do it because then I can stand there in the water and be vertical instead of being horizontal and blend in with the kelp mm. 
while I'm hunting sea bass, if that makes it makes sense to people out there. 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's just, um, I, th- I think the rationale for, for, for weighting yourself for 33 feet is a good one, but I think it just needs to be adapted um, in, a, in a smart way with a bit of sense by people that know how to hunt. And, and then we adopt other safe strategies to make sure that we're all right. But if you're hunting shallower than, you know, 20 feet, um, weighting becomes much less of an issue. If you, I mean, people do black out in, in, in even really shallow water, but it's just like you've just got to apply a level of common sense. Like you said, like if you're diving less than a minute, if you're blacking out, it's probably, you know, like you'd have to be doing something pretty, like I'm not having a shot at anyone, but you'd have to be doing something pretty silly, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when I hunt halibut, I mean, we're rarely over 25 feet. Sometimes it's all the way in shallow at nine, nine feet of water. You know, you can't, you can't be covering the bottom because you don't want to be right on the bottom. You want to be a couple of feet off the bottom. So you got a better angle on looking for them. And I'll find guys all the time. They're trying to hold on to something or their, their fins are on the surface kicking and they're trying to, you know, you got it. You got to be a, a, be able to do that but also too many people have the fear of just dumping their weight belt mm. i go on a trip i take i go on a trip to baja california you know we drive down and we go dive places and i'll bring two fully full weight belts yeah i have no problem i've never dumped the weight belt but i have no problem ever dumping a weight belt. this is another one like i i've I met so many people like we all talk about dumping weight belts i can't even remember talking to someone that's actually dumped their weight belt like and that instinct's not trained. Most of us, like if you've been down there for a longer dive and you're worried in the least, I think you should unclip your weight belt and hold it there so it is ready to drop if you fall unconscious. But none of us have got that trained into us. It's a hard one to train, I think. I was, you know, there's an old lifeguard that I used to dive with and and he, he taught me that. And there's been many times I've had my weight belt pulled to the side Mm. And if I would have blacked out or if I felt that I was going to black out, I, I could have just let go and dumped it. I had one guy diving um, with me and, and I had to go dive and, and get his weight belt off the bottom. But he dumped his weight belt because he thought he was going to black out. He's like, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm like, dude, you did the best thing. I don't, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a freaking weight belt. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I don't want to call your family and say that, you know, you blacked out. I, I took a father and son out through a heavy surf zone. We were shore diving and, um, you know, we, we really wanted to go diving basically and the conditions were just like my nice sheltered spots were just like it was pea soup. You, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. These guys really wanted to dive and out beyond the surf line, it was actually uh, the water was a bit cleaner. It looked like there was probably three, four uh, sorry, about 12, 15 Meters. feet of, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, I'm used to like a, a, a southern audience here, so we, we speak in metric, so I've got to hey, translate. I know, I know the whole metric system. Oh, sweet, so. sweet. Yeah, well, you're an engineer, so of course you do. Um, but sort of like nine, 12 feet vis out beyond the breakers, but we, I took them out and the surf just, we, he was they were a bit slower getting out beyond the sets and the father was a little bit of a bigger bloke and he has just panicked. And he's dumped his weight belt right there in the middle of the surf zone. He's trying to climb this cliff face with waves smashing him. I felt so guilty for taking them out there. <laughs> I was just like, we got in. He was really shaken up. And um, I never got that weight belt back. But, um, like, lesson learned. You've just got to, yeah, you've got to gradually acclimatize. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, um, like you say, you, you don't care about a weight belt. It's a person's life. Like, $100, who cares? Done. 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not a big deal. I had an experience when I was probably I don't know fifteen or sixteen. We were still able to dive abalone here in San Diego, and I went out and the surf picked up, and I had only had a couple weight weight weights in my um, uh, surf shorts, you know. Yeah, and so I ended up taking those out. And, uh, you know, I mean, I thought I was going to die. I got pounded in, you know, the surf came up to like 10 foot surf. And, I mean, I got rocked. I think I the saw this. Thing- I think I saw your post on Instagram with that. That was, this was a, like a bloody mess. I think it blanked the image out. Was that the, was that the one? I can't remember. It says, I, it says graphic content. And you said like, this got you to the bone. Like, and it's just a. Oh no, no. That was like, it was diving in, in uh, Hawaii on Maui. Oh. That was a funny story there. What happened? <laughs> so a good friend of mine, um, Alan, he, he's born and raised in, in Maui. And, and so we went out with Uncle Norm and Uncle Norm was fishing. So he, he dropped us off at this one point. And we're like, hey, OK, you know, we're going to pick us up at this point. Well, three hours later, Uncle Norm's nowhere to be seen in the boat. Wow. And I'm like, this is Hawaii. The water is 85 degrees and I hadn't had a drink of water. I'm kind of dehydrated. So I decided I was going to get up on the rocks. Well, I got up, I took, rode the swell up on the lava rocks. Well, just as, before I could turn around, another swell, that swell that came back doubled up with another one oh. and smashed me over. Well, it flipped me back over and all that water came down on my leg. And so I don't know how I didn't break my tibula, but it just opened up that whole thing and broke a chip off of that tibia. But Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and then the, and then and then the bad part about it was two minutes later guess yeah. who comes driving around the corner Uncle like Norm. Nothing? Uncle Uncle Norm. Norm. <laughs> but but alan had told me he goes well this wouldn't be the first time uncle norm took us diving i had to swim back to shore and walk home oh wow so i was just like oh man but you know it's it's those kind of things that you remember the rest of your life and you laugh about now but uh you know it's just Hey, I got a big scar and a chunk out of my tibia. Hindsight being twenty twenty, and given the fact that sometimes we don't get to choose who takes us out to the spots, you know, it's just opportunity comes and we, but like maybe a lesson learned, um, would you take, you know, like a hydration type pack on your float or something similar? Um, how could you best prepare for a situation like that with the possibility of the boat not coming back for you? Um, yeah, I would, you know, we were diving with just reels, so there wasn't no hydration or, you know, no float to, you know, put up water. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just a dumb guy and I'd do the same thing all over again. And <laughs> that I, wasn't close enough to death. You know, I mean, you asked one of your questions in your sheet, you sent me, you know, and, and, and I had an experience nighttime lobster diving. You know, nobody else with me. There was another guy, but God knows where he was. And and I was going into, you know, the big boulders on jetties. I was going in looking for lobster and a surge came in and, and it wedged me in there. And it was the closest I've ever been to blacking out. I started seeing stars and well, that stopped me from entering those holes anymore. And that was, that, that, that had been 20 years ago. And I haven't, I haven't gone in a hole like that, ever, you know, ever since. Because I, 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 I thought I was done. So, yeah, wow. but, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. This is a pretty common one. Like, um, I've actually had this from a few people recently talking about exactly the same thing. Surge washing them into a rock in a fairly shallow cave and feeling like they're pretty close to, you know, 
being beyond their breath hold and and, and that's that's it lights out um this also seems like a type of diving that's accessible to fairly new and inexperienced divers given the fact that it's relatively shallow and you're chasing a very popular target particularly when you're starting lobster what's your advice to people if they are doing this kind of diving what i've done over the years is i carry a float down with me i i use a short float line about 30 feet Mm. And I have a float and I have my lobster bag on that float. Because when I got pinched in there, my lobster bag was on my hip and it kind of wedged me in there. And I carry my big light on the, uh, on that attached to that float with, with a weight on it. So if I wanted to mark a spot too, I can mark a spot and come back. But that's kind of kept a lot of the gear off of me so I don't get caught up as much. And, you know, these rocks sometimes have kelp and stuff growing off that get caught up in you too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also wear a little, a little light that, uh, straps to the mass strap. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen those are a couple double A's and it's just enough light to where if you got a lobster and you need to dim the light, you know, you still can see what's in front of you. But I think that's the biggest thing is I don't, I don't push the limits like, like that because it's just a freaking bug. It's just a cockroach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and 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 I and I and I tow that buoy behind me with my float. Do you like to penetrate? Great news, penetrator fins. Today's Noobspero podcast sponsor are tough as nails, robust, dependable performers with beyond industry standard warranty. Communicate direct with Larry and his team 24-7 for all your fin inquiries at penetratorfins.com or at penetratorfins on Instagram. Baby spum finish. These things are smooth as silk. They glide through the water. They give you that awesome balance between power and efficiency. This is Penetrator Fins. Use the code Anubspiro to save $25 on any pair of Penetrator Fins at penetratorfins.com. That's right, use the code Anubspiro to save $25 on any pair of Penetrator Fins at penetratorfins.com. In the world of freedive spearfishing, there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times, but there is a way to do it safer and smarter, take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there. Learn at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. If you take down more fuel, you can stay for longer. Learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal. Ted breaks it down for you with a free online course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Take down 20 to 30% more air just by learning how to take a full breath. Again, learn how to do it free at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Shrek, my dude. You're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many newbers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, newbers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our In the Face Apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest spearing magazine check it out at spearingmagazine.com shrek thanks love what you're doing jeremy out with um with dive lights there seems to be a lot of um a lot of bro science to them um you guys dive 
like spot California spiny lobster have got a great reputation. Um, you, you, you night dive for them. Um, with regards to your flashlight, um, I've heard guys say they like a they like quite a high lumen torch, but with a, a lot of dispersion, so that it's not a real bright, tiny light line of light shining on a cra- on a lobster. W- w- what's your um, take on it all? Do you have two dive lights. Is that what I'm sort of hearing? Yeah, the one that's on my mask is on all the time, and and that's just a little bit of light so that I can see something, you know, a couple feet in front of me. But I do like a, a light that broadcast is a wide broadcast, yeah. so it covers a lot, but it's not bright because I found in the past, like other people, if when you when you hit a lobster with a really direct light beam, I see the I find they like to move, mm. and, it, and it kind of spooks them. Yeah. So yeah, the same thing is a wide, a wide cast light for finding them, and then I'll shut that light off when I go to grab them, and then I'll just use that you know very light light. You know, it just doesn't seem to spook them as much. Nice. Have you got any brands or or, or personal preferences with with your lights? Can you remember? Um. You know. I mean, honestly, just the uh, underwater kinetic pistol grip with four batteries, the led broadcast one, Yep. All right. I, you know, that's the one I tie to my float line. Other people will get the ones that, you know, go on your wrist and cost a lot of money. And I just find that, you know, my stuff like that gets banged up because I'm in the rocks and the mm-hmm. surf and all that. I, I just, I don't personally want to spend the money. I don't think I need to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, there's, there's the ones you can strap on your wrist with all the battery packs. I tried that night rider one years ago. They had a battery pack you could put on your weight belt. And that was pretty good because I, I didn't use it on my head. I had it in my hand. Yeah. And that one I did like because you could switch to a red light. Um, but that was that was quite a few years ago. I don't even think they're still around. Are you using um, like a loop to ca- catch your lobster or do you just catch them by hand, like grabbing the base of the horns? Um, what, what's your technique? California, you can only use your hands. Yep, yep. No, no loop, no knot, no you know three prong, no nothing. Yep. Ah, so cool. it makes it a little more challenging for people. Yeah. You get guys that come out from Florida or other places, or what? I can't use a tickler. You can't use a net. Nope. Got to use your hands. So your, our hands do get quite torn up. You want to use five mil yeah. gloves with some Kevlar on them because that's spiny lobsters. That's their name, spiny. Yeah, they they. It seems similar to southern rock lobster. We get. Uh, sort of down south of me and in New Zealand. And those things just tear your gloves to shreds and your hands as well. Um, and the wrestle, when you get hold of a, of a decent one, do they, do, they, do they spread in the hole so that their legs sort of wedge out and they're, and they're, and they're hard to pull out? Oh, yeah, yeah. But if, you do, if you get them in a hole and you're just on the top of the carabus where the uh, – where the antennas are. Yeah. I tell people don't pull on the antennas cause you're, you're just going to break them off yeah. of the lobster. You, you, but they, they'll get in there and you, they will not let go. Yeah. They're, 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 they're like a pit bull when they lock on, they're on, they're not going to let go till they're gone. So do you do like a push pull backwards and forwards? I'll try, you know, and uh, it just depends on how much air I got. Cause I, I'm doing it free diving. Yep. I'll, you know, I'll try to like kind of let my grip off a little bit and see if they'll move a little bit. And I've, you know, I've tried the push pull. The thing is those tails are so strong. And if oh. they got that tail, like wrapped around a, 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 some kind of rock or something under there, you, there's just no getting them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and you know, it's, it's cold water here in San Diego, mm. um, in Southern California during the winter time, it's you know, 60, 
58 degree water and you know it's 38 degrees fahrenheit outside and mm. and uh it's not the most enjoyable thing anymore for me i think i might a young man sport i might have had a buddy come down your way andre a few years ago uh, I've had him on the show before, but, and I did get to see you at San Diego night dive, um, chasing the spiny lobsters. So it is, it's, you guys have spoiled there with, um, how beautiful your ocean is. Like, uh, you've got, you've got kelp beds, um, you, you've got a healthy sea lion population. Uh, it seems like a fairly vibrant, um, ecosystem as well in terms of like, we were talking about salinity before. I think it's almost like really well oxygenated the, the water down there. It seems like it's quite nutrient dense. Is that how you would describe oh, it? Yeah. And, and that's why our visit is usually pretty bad because it has so much nutrition in the water. I mean, you can be diving in the kelp beds and have a school of a million, uh, mackerel or a million sardines swim through. Wow. You know, and you dive to the bottom and the sea anemones and, and all the life that people don't realize until you slow down and you go look on the bottom, all the little um, horn sharks and the, you know, all the weird stuff, moray eels, lots of moray eels out here, you know, just, yeah, it's, it's a very vibrant coastline. I think just because we have so much good upwelling and that cold, cooler water is usually, you know, more abundant than hot tropical water. Mm-hmm. So tell, so tell me about lineage charters. Like, have you guys got one main vessel you operate out of? Yeah. So the Escapade, I bought that boat, uh, what is it, five, five and a half years ago now. And um, I've been through it and basically rebuilt everything that needed to be rebuilt, changed it a little bit because I love building things. And, uh, you know, I'm a craftsman. Um, this year, our new addition this year is uh, an RSW uh, fish hold. So all the fish are, you know, submerged in salt water with, you know, refrigerated salt water uh, spraying on the fish if they're, you know, if they're not totally submerged. So it keeps that fish at 34 degrees in salt water and it's the best quality. One thing that I, as, as I've grown as a person, um, I, I'm more in tune for quality than quantity mm. you know if, if if we're diving or fishing in a tuna it doesn't matter if it's a if it's a 15 pound tuna or a 150 pound or a 300 pound tuna that fish comes on board and it's bled instantly yep it's it's gill and gutted the proper way so the belly's still whole um and then the bigger fish you know uh, people will take their fish and throw it right in ice you do not want to do that to fish they don't understand how hot these tuna get mm -hmm. so they they'll either be put overboard and cooled we don't have to worry about sharks getting them or you know if, if it's not you know that fast paced the deck hose stays inside of that fish and it's in the shade um cooling that inside down because when you stick your hand inside to, to, to gut a, let's say a 200 pound bluefin it's, it's over a hundred degrees in there. Cause they just had a gnarly fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, this, this next last year we started doing it, but this year I'm, yeah, I'm going to try most fish, uh, the Ikajimi hunter. Yeah. Nice. So, nice. you know, and it, because, you know, nowadays I think a lot more divers and, and fishermen, I see they'd rather catch one or two fish and mm. have it prime quality. A hundred percent. Then to get, Oh man, we we smoked it. We got twenty fish, but yeah. all of it tastes like crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I've got a, a seafood cookbook coming out. I don't know. I don't know if you're aware of it, um, Bly, but it's um, we crowdsourced all these recipes from the community. There's more than 150 recipes in there. One of my favourite additions to the book was a DIY jarred tuna recipe, which is like how to make your own, you know, like canned tuna, but with the fish that you've caught yourself. But tuna is a fish that just, it seems to require a little bit of knowledge and understanding in order to process those fish from from when you first shoot them to when you do something with it. Um, and and that, that knowledge, I, I think a lot of sparrows are not actually familiar with how to care for at tuna as a unique species. Very interesting that you talked about temperature there. So... So, okay, so a Sparrow shoots, let's say, a 100-pound bluefin tuna, brings it back to the boat. Just walk me through what what your deckhands kind of do, what your what your ideal process is. So, you know, I'm going to teach them before to kind of kind of cut a gill in the water, get that thing bleeding as fast as possible so if the heart's still pumping, that it's going to pump out as much, you know. So we get it on board. If they didn't bleed it, you know, we'll bleed it, and then – then the process is make sure everybody's back on the boat safe. Then we get on there and, and we're getting the gills and the guts out as soon as possible. Now we do that the same way a fish would go to Japanese market, right? The belly's yeah. full so that if you wanted to, you could pack that belly with ice and, and, and it saves the Toro, which is everybody's favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, you know, the, so- that's the belly meat, isn't it? The Toro. Yeah, the belly meat. And and I mean I love eating it. My my specialty is I love I love smoking it and giving it to people because oh, they're it. like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's 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 just some of the most when you eat it warm off the smoker, it's the most Oh yeah. Oh, oh you're speaking yeah. you're so, speaking my language here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I I do love to cook and eat. So yeah, me but too. um, you know, so that fish is taken care of and you know, and we get people going, well, why, why isn't it on ice? You got to get on ice. Well, you don't want to put it on ice, you know? And, well, you know, on our boat, there's, you know, on our multi-day trips, we only take four people. Mm. And so, so that it's just that core group of four guys that all know each other. And I'll take them. I'll say, come here, stick your hand in this belly. And they'll go, oh my God, that fish has been dead for a half an hour. Yeah, It's well. still hot. So do you tail tie them and then just hang them over the back or over the side and into the, you know, if we, if we have a bunch of them, yep. we will, yep. but you know, if there's one or two, we'll, the deck hoses, you yep. know, which is just grabbing seawater yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and put them in the shade or, you know, if, if they're not put a blanket over them, some kind of blanket, you know? Um, and then as soon as their room temperature, you know, whatever the ambient temperature is, all right, time to get it on ice. And then oh. we'll, you know, we'll put ice in it. And uh, the fish hold isn't big enough for fish really over about 160 pounds. After that, we use fish bags. Yep. And if we're going out targeting, I fill up this two-ton fish hold with shaved crushed ice. And then we take that ice, we pack the bellies, then we pack the fish on ice. Yeah, and, nice. You know, I, I, I bring salt because I add salt to that too, mm. because you don't want any fresh water getting into your meat. Mm. That's the biggest thing I find whether it's it's people on TV or people take it to fish processors or whatever. Yeah. I watch them rinsing down fillets with fresh water. <laughs> yeah. You, ne- you never want to rinse a fresh or saltwater fish down until you're right about to eat it. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, and so that's the biggest thing. People, oh, why are you putting salt? Well, salt makes it colder. Plus, the salt in the water is not going to affect the meat. 
you know, sometimes we'll head and tail them. And then they'll go in, you know, in that brine in in the RSW. Well, the tail of a 200 pound fish, you're not going to eat at least a foot of that tail because all it is is sinew, you Mm -hmm. know. And um, so if any water migrates into there, it's no big deal. You know, it's not like you're going to ruin any fish, you know, but if you, if you take the head off properly, there's, you know, there's not going to be any meat damage because you still have the belly, uh, the belly, uh, uh, what's the, the membrane still intact and the skin yep. still intact and everything. The tail so. and the head you can use for stocks as well and soups if you've got a big enough pot. Um, and yeah. then I like some of the head meat, you know, like the cheeks and, you know, the jowls and uh, whatever else. Nothing, nothing beats grouper cheeks or, or uh, you know, big, big snapper cheeks. Yeah, yeah. Or halibut. Halibut cheeks are really good too. You I think you already get halibut here. I, I've never eaten one. I, I'd love to. Um but back to the sort of the bluefin. So we get back into port. The fish has been in ice. Um, how do you advise processing it? Because cutting a, a tuna up is a little bit different, and there's a little there's a lot more art involved in, in in how you portion it out and stuff like that. How do you advise the guys to do that, or do you help them? Well, so on the boat, you know, we we'll, we'll process a, a bluefin up to about forty, maybe fifty pounds. It just gets too hard after that. The regulations in the United States, it's 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 a NOAA's um, regulation. We, if you cut any tuna out at sea, you have to save the belly, the loins, and the collar, which are all good eating stuff. I mean, bluefin collars on the grill or the smoker is awesome, you know. Yeah. But a lot of people, ah, I don't want that, you know. But Aww. they have to be kept until the person leaves the boat. So when somebody books a trip, you know, they they get the email I send out when they book a trip, and it lists five different processors in San Diego. Oh, nice. So that, yeah. And then it lists, there's two guys in San Diego in the last few years that have gotten a business because of this bigger fish of picking up fish. And, you know, then they work with the processors. They take all your information down and then they take those fish to the processor. And then the processors either ship it out or you can pick it up the next day. And I do, I tell everybody, make a reservation when you book your trip, because during the season, they'll cut off people that don't have reservations because they're too busy. Mm-hmm. So, um, because they handle the sport fishing fleet, which is massive here in San Diego. And so if you don't have a reservation, you might find yourself, wow, I have no, no way to process this fish. We talk about sustainability a lot. I personally think like this treatment that you're teaching these people, you know, how to look after a fish. Personally, I would rather have one good eating fish than 10 like poorly cared for fish. Like, in, in, in fact, I think you get a little bit fussier the more you've done it. But um, I haven't really, I've never speared a tuna, uh, a, a bluefin or, or a yellowfin. And I, I think, I mean, obviously there's a slightly different treatments with, with all of them, but having that knowledge and having someone show you how to do it from start to finish would be a huge benefit of coming on a charter. Like not only do you learn how to hunt them, but arguably you get to learn the most important part, which is how to care for them. Yeah. Cause I mean that it, it's not always about the hunt. It's about the journey, you know, mm. it, it's about the full process. And sometimes you look back on stuff and go, wow, I had more fun learning that, you know, just for example, taking care of that fish. Well, when I got that fish home, it was still in, you know, sashimi grade meat. It wasn't like, ugh, well, I might be able to make poke out of it or something like yeah, that, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I think, you know, whether we're fishing um, yellowtail or calico bass or rockfish, you know, we have rock, 
cold water rockfish out here. We fish in the bottom. We fish them from 150 to, you know, deeper, but they all get bled. And I'll show, I'll, I'll keep one not bled and it's really white meat fish and you fillet one that's not bled and people are going, wow, there's blood all in this fillet. And then you, even, even these rockfish, you know, they don't have a lot of blood, but just getting that blood out of them, mm-hmm. it, it is night and day difference. And then, you know, people, a lot of people don't like fish, like they don't like game, right? Well, it's the yeah. same thing with wild game. You hunt. Well, if you don't age that meat, it's going to take, taste, you know, gamey and tough, you know? Yeah. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, if you don't take care of all of your fish, it's, it's not going to taste as good. And, and, and maybe people who don't like fish are going to like fish. Mm. We're getting, we're getting sidetracked here, but it's, it's exactly what I like to do. Bly. Um, you talked about aging game meat. Do you ever age tuna? Have you got a, a purpose built fridge or something like that for aging fish? So I do. Um, and, and, you know, people can't see us cause I can see you, but I'm going to walk you back here cause I'm down in my uh, shop here. All right, I'll describe but, it as best I can for, uh, for the listeners and, Maybe I can share part of this on YouTube. Yeah. So last year I aged 150 pound bluefin mm. for uh, six or seven days. Yeah. And it was kind of by accident. I was like, I went diving. The only time I, I went uh, bluefin diving for myself last year, shot the fish, got home, had trips to run for a couple of days. And so I hung that up with the tail cut off so that any blood can migrate down and drip down. And then I just left stuff to keep the blood it was the best bluefin tuna i have ever eaten in my oh, life yeah yeah and and i everybody i gave it to because I, I you know i'll shoot a fish and i'll keep some of it for smoking and i'll i give a lot of fish away to people who enjoy it because i only enjoy most tuna raw yep. and um but i tell you yeah aging that fish even if you just take your loin on a smaller fish mm. and age it you're going to notice a lot different taste and you're going to get rid of some of the, um, the maybe the metallic taste that some yeah. tunas have. You're going to get rid of that stuff and you're going to let the protein start or the enzymes start breaking down the proteins. Yeah. And it, it's just going to be a whole different experience. Yeah. Dry, dry aging though. That's all I've done. Yeah. 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 Yep. I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with some of these concepts and it's really only fairly new to me in the last 18 months. You know, like I learned about not, adding fresh water because that introduces bacteria and stuff like that. If you can keep those, if you can dry them right off and hang them for, you know, at least 24 hours or 48, like it's a game changer. It, it is. And I mean, anybody that can have an old refrigerator in their garage or whatever and, and rig something up, don't have that. Don't cut that fish the same day. I don't care what fish it is. If it sits on ice for a couple of days for one, that's going to be even better because anything you can age on the bone is going to give more flavor to that mm. meat, just like game. You know, you want to age game whole if you can, or if not just quarters, but, but try aging, you know, if you, if you're going fishing or you're, or you're spear fishing, you shoot a you know, 20 pound yellowtail, try aging that in the refrigerator whole. One of the problems like you identified too is like you, you, you want to hang the fish too, don't you? So that the, the, the blood either drips out the head or the, or the tail if you've, if you've cut it off. A lot of people seem to wrap the tail and hang them up, like tail up and then head down in a, in a refrigerator. But to hang a heavier fish like in the 20-pound range, you'd need to rig something up in order to be able to do that. Um, 
actually, that's a really interesting point. I'm just going to put it out there to the Noob Spiro community. If you have rigged up a refrigerator or something in order to dry age fish, I'd love to see some photos. And uh, hopefully Bly will send me in a couple that I can put in today's show notes of his setup. And then um, if people go to noobspiro.com forward slash Captain Bly, I'll have um, I'll also have his Instagram linked up and lineage charters, and then I'll have some photos in there of his um, dry aging facility because I think it's a game changer, Bly, and people are going to want to know about it. So noobspirit.com forward slash Captain Bly, and I'll have all that stuff linked up. And I might even have a picture of that tuna hanging on my uh, Instagram. Another thing I noticed was uh, you had you underwent um, some shoulder surgery, and you had I think seven months out of the water. I was going to ask you how you recover your dive fitness. Wow. Um, yeah, that's, it's been a long road. I, I probably should have had surgery 10 years ago, but I kept putting it off, putting it off. Nobody has time to sit around for six months. Um, just hit six months after surgery. And, um, you know, I, I've been trying. I've never been a jogger. I've lost a lot of muscle mass in the last few years, not being able to work the upper body. Yeah. And so I've just kind of, you know, gone with it and, and I'm, I'm as slim as I was in eighth grade now. Um, <laughs> well, wow. yeah. Um, but now I, you know, I, um, I do a lot more cardio now Yeah. and, uh, I went on a Baja trip and, and I, and it wasn't so much the endurance. It was just, trying to be comfortable again in the water because it's been so long mm. for me out of the water. But the biggest thing is I've never been one to do tables, you know, sit on my, sit in the couch or chair and do tables. I don't have that kind of patience. Um, you know, I, I, I just say stay active, um, you know, in the cardio wise, cause I don't think enough people do cardio. Mm. And, and that's been my key is, is I've never been a jogger and I, I jog now. Yeah. That's like, wow, wow, I jog. That's crazy. My problem is I get to the gym and just, like I do more of a functional type, uh, you know, a high-intensity type workout involving sort of, you know, multi-muscle groups for a warm-up now, but I still like prefer weights. Um, I'm, I struggle to get on a treadmill. My knees just start complaining as well. Maybe that that's given away my uh, – You know, but try lighter weights, more repetition, but try some apnea while you're doing it. That's yeah. going to really help your stuff out. You know, in, you know, a big guy like you, you know, do it at home if you're self-conscious, you know, but you don't want to be in the gym doing, you know, 20 pound curls, but do 50, 20 pound curls and hold your breath as long as possible. And that's going to build up that anaerobic part mm. of your muscles, which is all getting used when you're diving. So this is anaerobic. You're talking about the, the, the muscles ability to retain and hold oxygen for sort of prolonged periods is that sort of what you, the mechanism yeah, you're about? yeah. And, and getting your muscles used to that because yeah. you know that's that part of that mammalian dive reflex is your your body kind of goes okay i need to just control this stuff and, and and keep oxygen in these bigger muscles so that i can still move my muscles around mm. I'm, I'm not a scientist or a nah, yeah, but it's all good fit, fitness guy but that's just what i've seen through people um you know, the guys in Hawaii, the lifeguards, you know, they, they'll dive down and they'll pick up a rock and they'll run underwater as long as they can mm. to get that, you know, and that's just building up, you know, not just their CO2 tolerance, but that's teaching their muscles to operate on, on not breathing. Uh, here I was thinking that Andy did it for Instagram. 
<laughs> Turns out there was a legit purpose to it. Oh, that's good. There, there is a legit purpose to what what those like lifeguards do in Hawaii. Oh, I thought it was just getting mad, mad followers and likes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so the, the, back to your vessel, the the Escapade. Did you say was the name? The Escapade. Yeah, I didn't. I never changed the name. It's been that name since 1970. Was when a boat was built. It's a solid fiberglass hull, um, and uh, it's fiberglass and 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 uh, composite structure and everything. Mm. Um, so how big? Yeah. I, it's uh 43 overall. Yeah. It's uh, about 14 feet wide, nice wide boat. And, um, you know, on our, on our multi-day trips, the only thing you got to bring is whatever kind of alcohol you want to drink. Yeah. Uh, you know, we supply water snacks, you know, most divers don't eat three meals a day, but you know, if you, we always have like, uh, ban- uh, not bananas. Cause most people are superstitious about bananas on a boat, but, <laughs> um, fruit and oatmeal you know a lot of divers like to have for breakfast and stuff and then we kind of just cater to what i talk to each group and say hey you know what will you guys kind of like to eat i don't want to have just a standard thing and that you know that's why you're going on a on a trip with just you know four or five six people yeah is it's, it's catered towards you you know it's a, what do you want to target okay well we don't want to target you know, bluefin. We want to go target yellowtail and white sea bass. Okay, well, we're going to go do that. It's it's what they want to target. Yeah, nice. Okay, cool. Um, you know, so so all you got to bring is your dive gear. I, you know, when it comes to tuna and whatnot, I have always got a couple tuna guns on the boat for people. Um, you know, most people have their reef gun and are their you know mid sized gun. That's not the most expensive gun to buy. You know, big tuna guns are expensive. Uh, I understand everybody can't buy it. Um, we also have bungees. Um, oh, so you, 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 you sort of like rent out or make available some of your larger blue water guns for customers. I don't, I don't rent anything. It's on the, it's on the consensus of if you bend a shaft, you pay for the shaft. If you lose the gun, you pay for the gun, but I don't, I don't charge anybody anything for gear unless you damage the gear. You oh, wow. and, and, and part of spear fishing, you, you damage gear, you know, you bend yeah, shafts and, 100%. and whatnot. You know, and, uh, you know, we get all of our bungees from Jerry. There's only one float, the Ocean Hunter three atmosphere float. I, that's the only float I would ever recommend to anybody. Uh, that that float is so bulletproof. I've had two of them on the boat. Only one I've had to fix because somebody um, let it hit a, spear, a, a slip tip yeah. and it put a little hole in it. But I patched it with the same thing you patch an inflatable with and it's still good. But those floats are so bulletproof, you can pump them up to 40 pounds. I've had those floats disappear for 10 minutes and pop right back up. Yeah. They have got a phenomenal rep, especially against their main competitors. Because to be honest, I think there's really only two of those style floats on the market that are highly recognizable. And I've heard lots of people recommend them, particularly people that do a lot of blue water hunting. Well, the big thing is, is, you know, there's another popular float out there. I, I just, you can't pump it up as high mm. and you know three atmospheres is is over 33 pounds most mm. of them you know maybe go to 33 pounds or they go to uh, uh most of them 29 pounds yeah which isn't a true three atmosphere float three atmospheres is like 45 pounds isn't it what um one right atmosphere is 14.7 yeah. yeah so yeah that's freaking so yeah these these floats i mean uh, you know on their books they could say 
are, you know, in their instruction, I think it's 41 and a half or 42 and a half PSI is the max PSI. Yes. Now, now that's cold when it's in the sun, it's probably going to be closer to 45, 50 PSI. Yeah. Um, you know, Jerry, Jerry at Neptonics, you know, he's the one who told me about them when they first came out. He's like, Hey, we tested these things in Indonesia. We pumped them up and then we just left them full for days mm. in the hot tropical sun. He's like, we never had a problem. And they tow the best behind the boat. Cause when you're looking for bluefin, you're towing your float behind you. Mm. A lot of the other floats, you know, you, ah, oh, crap. I got to stop the boat. Cause that float yeah. dove under and just, you know, somebody wasn't, you know, you, you gotta have that bungee tied off or, or somebody really holding on to it. Cause if it, that float dies under, you know, I mean, I've got a, uh, you know, 29 ton vessel, you know, yeah. it's, it's not stopping very quickly, <laughs> yeah. you know? So it's like, all right, hold on. You know, we, we did have one accident when, when somebody wasn't watching and, and it, they didn't have it wrapped off on the rail mm. and they couldn't hold on any longer. And well, they just let go and it took a spear gun and, and flipped it about 30 Ooh. feet in the air. Ooh. You know, thank goodness nothing happened, but you know, it, th- Spear fishing is dangerous. And, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, make sure people understand that muzzle control is so important because you could have the best gun, but you never know what's going to happen and never point that gun at something that, you know, you don't want to hit. So, but, you know, you know, we have all that gear, you know, you need. Mm. Um, And like I said, there's no charging. People don't mind paying, you know, one hundred ten dollars for a shaft that they bend, you know, when they get up, you know, one hundred eighty, you know, it doesn't matter. They shot a bluefin. That's you know, that's still a pretty incredible fleet, you know, uh, feat. You can't do that very very many places in the world. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Frenzel and Advanced Frenzel video or the Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of kiln dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. Bly, I feel like I could talk to you about spearfishing for hours and hours. <laughs> I want to cover off two quick more sessions before we head on out. Okay. And uh, if you ever want to come back on the Noob Spear podcast, you're always welcome to reach out to me and come back again because. I feel like there's always more ground to cover, more stories to tell. But I wanted to ask you, what's one of the funniest things you've experienced out spearfishing? God, I, you know, I was, I was looking at that going, what the heck? The funniest thing is, you know, about 
20 years ago, we were coming back from this place called El Banco down in mainland Mexico. It sounds like and a place to get into mischief. El Banco. El Banco. Yeah. <laughs> but no. So, so we're coming back and I see this like 500 pound black Marlin jumping out. What am I? Like, what the hell? So I tell the Pongero, I'm like, Hey, go over there. And we go over there and, and for maybe 20 minutes, we watched this 500 pound black Marlin chase about a 40 pound, 45 pound Dorado Wow! around. And then it ended with the black Marlin spearing the Dorado in midair. Now this was before <laughs> all the cell phones and all that. I mean, to have that on camera, that had to have been one of the coolest fish encounters I've, I've ever seen wow. is, is just to be able to watch that and say how many people in the world have ever seen that? You know, I mean, that, that was funny. I, you know, there's, there's so many of them track yeah. that I it's looking through you know the, the 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 hot topics thing you sent me it's just like man it's like where where do I start yeah it's, yeah yeah that's what I mean 30 I have years to, of, I have of to get fun you back. diving yeah yeah well I, my my personal favorite preference for funny stories is generally poo stories because I just find like being out on boats hundreds of miles offshore and and needing to go number two is just a it's just a reality that we all share and we've all had plenty of awkward moments. Well, well I got a quick one. So we were <laughs> diving one day and, and my butt's hanging over the edge and this guy that I I used to dive with takes a picture <laughs> while the logs in midair. <laughs> there, uh, there's a good funny one there. Everyone needs a friend like that, don't they? <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, I'm not a bashful guy, you know, I mean, Hey, time to get wetsuits on, you know, I, I, I don't wear speedos or whatever. I I'll lube that wetsuit up. You know, I, all I got is what I got. That's, that's all it is. You know, I mean, we're just a bunch of guys or girls. I don't care if there's girls on board, you know, that's just part of diving. You, you got to yeah. get in your suit, you know, and, but what, you know, so that's, yeah, the poo stories are fun. Always. <laughs> I didn't want to bring this up though. <laughs> that's good. All right, man. Um, Spiro Q and A is a, is a faster paced round of questions. Um, so let let let's get into that. Um, during your how many years have you been spearfishing? By the way, uh, about thirty serious. I mean, I started out with a pole spear as I was a kid, but you know, like like into spearfishing with spear guns about thirty years. All right. So let's say uh, we'll, we'll say during your thirty plus years spearfishing, what is the single biggest lesson you've learned? I wrote that down right here. It is it is to be humble to slow down and to absorb all of your surroundings because you're going to learn more and, and enjoy everything that spearfishing has to offer when you just kind of slow down and, and, and look at, look at the grand picture, whether you're, you're watching other people dive, don't be afraid to, to go kind of follow a guy and watch what he's doing and go, Oh, wow. I never noticed. Oh, wow. I, okay. And then you go try it and, that's that's my advice is slow down because you know when I was young I didn't I charge 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 but in you know the last fifteen years wow slow down and and, and kind of absorb everything in and, and, and you're going to learn more and enjoy the sport more love it love it all right and be I, humble no matter how big a fish or whatever you think you are there's always somebody better out there yeah it's good. and it's not you know it's not a competition you shouldn't be diving for a competition unless you're you know in 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 a competition, if that makes sense. <laughs> but it, it, it's not about the biggest fish you can post on social media. Yeah. You know? No, I That's get it. That's not why you should be diving. 100% words of wisdom there. All right. Who is the best person to go spearfishing with and why? 
The best person to go spearfishing with is somebody that you know is going to have your back in the water. You know, I, it, it could be somebody who's not even a good diver, but they're a good, good waterman or your best friend that you know is going to do everything he can to either save your butt, you're going to save his butt, or, you know, help you in any situation. That, that, that to me is the best person to go spearfishing. It's not always the most experienced person. Who are a couple of your favorite dive buddies? <laughs> my two best friends okay and and, and and you know what and they're they're not the best divers but i have a blast with them you know yep. they just they enjoy being on the water and 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 we just always have the best time we talk shit and you know just yeah. have a good time diving we put fish on the boat and 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 we go home stoked no matter what yeah love it what, what are their names who are they uh mark griffiths and uh brian brink yeah right cool all right, last question. Um, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one or two sentences? Spearfishing is my release from the world, bottom line. It's my chance to get away from everything. Love that, it. That's, that's, good that's, that's as simple as I can put it. I can relate. I can relate. Captain Bly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, people can come to noobspiro.com forward slash Captain Bly today. I'm going to link his um, Instagram up, but if you want to go there directly, it's Captain Bly Spear Guns. Um, he's also got, owns and operates Lineage Charters. If I, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but if you go to uh, your website, is Captain what is it? CaptainBly.com. Oh, CPTBly.com. So CPTBly.com, and that links up pretty much everything. You know, and, and I want to let everybody know our September and most of October, our August is full right now. Yep. On the charters, there's still a lot of good tuna diving in June and July. Lineagecharters.com, or you can find us on Instagram and, uh, you know, get get a few of your buddies together and, and come out and, and try something new or, or, you know, try to get your personal best or something. I'll promise you that you'll have a fun trip no matter what, and, and I'm going to do everything I can to get you on, on the fish. Mm. When I get over there to California at some stage, Bly, I'm going to look you up and, and I'm coming out spearing with you. Oh, dude, I would love to. I would love to. It's been on the calendar for a couple of years now. Um, I have patron listeners that, that support the show on an episode-by-episode episode basis so that I can travel and come and meet some of the guests that I've ha had on the podcast and go spearing with them. Um, I'd love to make it over there, and San Diego looks like a beautiful part of the world. And um, and you sound – someday. Someday I'd love to get to Australia. I've never been there or New Zealand, you know. Um, so I, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get to dive with you there. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, Bly. Um, awesome chatting with you. I've had an absolute ball, and as I said earlier, if you want to come back on the show at any time, just sing out, and we'll uh, we'll make that happen. Thank you, thank you. It's been a it's been an awesome hour and a half. Great. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed Captain Bly today. Uh, phenomenal dude, really interesting character. And uh, we had plenty to talk about, as you could tell. I really enjoyed getting to know him and, uh, and meet him and hear some of his crazy tales from a life spent uh, as a salty sea dog. But um, hey, let's hit check out this voice message from Fabian. Uh, at Fabian underscore CSM on Instagram. Tell of us a story about a snorkel and a notorious dive day. Hey. Yeah, I managed to... I catch my first turbot after years. Today was really nice, and 
on my second dive I just checked that uh, my snorkel is broken what the fuck and I was <laughs> diving one hour one hour and fifty with a broken snorkel I was holding it with my hand for prevent that uh, too much water come inside and <laughs> really special day thanks uh, at Fabian underscore CSM on Instagram for submitting that voice message for the podcast phenomenal if you want to do the same go to noobspero.com head up into the Nooba stories menu and submit your own voice message guys thanks for tuning into the Noobspero podcast today I really enjoyed having Captain Bly I hope you enjoyed the episode as well we've got a bunch of sick interviews coming up in the next few weeks we've got Paul Rodriguez from Hot Rod Spear Guns I'm really looking forward to dropping that um, also uh, I just want to thank the patrons, the Patreon legends that are supporting the podcast on an episode-by-episode episode basis. I'm about to do a Sydney tour from Brisbane with a bunch of mates in a camper van, and uh, that's largely paid for by Patreon listeners, um, like the 50 people that do so every episode. So check that out, patreon.com forward slash Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. See you in two weeks. Paul Rodriguez from Hot Rod Spear Guns. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%.